institutionalized success. Um, what does the company do now? I don't see any really great options. You know, customers won't top up their prepaid cards. That's going to really hit cash flow. I would imagine banks and funds are not anxious to take walk-in calls right now. Um, the overextended company has to dramatically shrink, and my guess is it won't remain independent. Better performing stores get divested, and many, many lesser ones will be shuttered. Um, the real impact, though, is on the broader outlook for China equities. You know, at this point, I'd say all Chinese firms listed in the U.S. are somewhat suspect, and that includes some big names, PetroChina, China Telecom, even Alibaba and JD. Mm. And the problem is, you know, SEC access. These companies just aren't audited to the same standards. Now, China protects its companies. You know, you alluded to Sinochorus. Well, what happened to those execs after stealing $2.5 billion? Mm. Nothing. So it's not going to stay this way. Right now, four U.S. senators have introduced a bill to close this loophole. And I think by 2021, assuming a Trump re-election, either China backs down on the audit standards or we're going to see some major USD listings. And we should really think about the uh, Alibaba Hong Kong dual listing in that light. Okay, Brock, thank you very much. Sadly, we've run out of time. That's Brock Silvers, Managing Director at Adamus Asset Management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A quick final look at the markets for this morning. US stock index futures up about 3% at the moment, so that's helping Asian equities. The SX200 up about 3.5%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan up 2%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to rise about 1.5% at the open. Gold, $1,620 an ounce, and Brent crude oil down about 4.5%. At the moment, at 32.86 a barrel. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Quick update on the weather. Cloudy with a few showers. They're going to be heavy at times. Maximum temperature of about 18 degrees. It's 17 degrees right now with a strong monsoon signal in force and 84% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. As concerns grow over a third wave of infections coming to Hong Kong, this time from Guangdong province, an infectious disease expert has suggested random testing for antibodies to see how many people have built up immunity to the new coronavirus. Professor Malik Peris from the University of Hong Kong says those people with this so-called immune passport could resume a normal life. Testing for the virus for control is a different issue where you do have to test individuals. But here, if you take an appropriate random sample of the population across age groups, you certainly can extrapolate to what's going on in the population. You don't have to test every single person. Now, there's another concept, of course, that is now becoming talked about, this concept of an immune passport, if you like. So in other words, you do test many people and uh, the people who know that they have antibody, they are more confident that they are protected. To some extent, they can go back more freely or move about more freely. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been admitted to hospital for precautionary tests more than a week after being diagnosed with COVID-19. His office says he's still exhibiting symptoms. Here's the BBC's Helena Wilkinson. The Prime Minister has been self-isolating in the flat above number 11 Downing Street since he tested positive for the virus. Mr Johnson has had symptoms for 10 days, including a high temperature. It's understood his admission to hospital wasn't as an emergency and the decision was taken on the advice of his doctor. He's expected to stay in overnight and is having routine tests. Downing Street says the Prime Minister is in contact with ministerial colleagues and officials and remains in charge of the government. 
The New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, says the state could be reaching a turning point in its fight against the illness. He said the number of new coronavirus deaths had fallen for the first time, with fewer than 600 reported yesterday. But New York City's Mayor Bill de Blasio said it wasn't yet clear whether the outbreak had reached its peak. The last thing I want to do is say, you know, we're turning a corner and then we get surprised. I see a few signs that are a little hopeful for sure. And as soon as we get to a point where we think they are consistent enough, we will say that for sure. But I think it's early to be able to declare that. Let's hope and pray, but we're not quite there yet. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. Welcome back to the show. (laughs) On this morning's show, us Financial Secretary Paul Chan warns of another six months of economic pain. We'll be talking to a representative of bar owners who are already feeling the squeeze after Hong Kong experienced its first weekend without most bars and pubs, following the government's closure of all premises used exclusively or mainly for the supply of alcohol. Infection rates showed some sign of slowing over the weekend, with Saturday seeing just 70 new cases, the lowest number in two weeks. But these included what may have been the first case of transmission in a local hospital. And government advisers are warning that a wider citywide lockdown may still prove necessary. So what do you think? Are the present measures sufficient? Or should the government introduce even tougher steps? And how about the World Health Organization's U-turn on wearing face masks? You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call on 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us for the first part of the programme, we have Alan Zeman, chair of the Lan Kwai Fong Group. Good morning, Mr Zeman. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Mike. So how was Lan Kwai Fong over the weekend? Well, it's been really quiet for the last number of weeks. Uh, many of the bars and restaurants have closed down even before the closure from uh, um, the government. And, and uh, it's, you know, people are staying away. Unfortunately, one of the bars, uh, Insomnia, in Lang Kwai Fong area, had that live band, Filipino band, that uh, infected a lot of people. And that was really uh, almost the only one in the Lankofong area, but of course all the media has always chosen that place and they think Lankofong is, is, is infected and so most people are staying away, but in, in effect it's really predominantly been that one bar that closed down, of course, and they have others in Wan Chai and in uh, Nutsford Terrace and, and, you know, two in Nutsford Terrace. So, um, but I think, I think the good news is, uh, we, as you say, we've seen the numbers come down on Saturday to 17 and, and yesterday I think 28. So, uh, we are seeing uh, a decrease in the numbers, and I'm hoping that it continues. I was uh, I was worried because uh, from March 1st to March 19th, so I think the government uh, should have introduced quarantine measures at that time when many of the students and many of the overseas people were coming back to Hong Kong. But unfortunately, that two and a half week period, there was no quarantine, and and uh, so I think the the effect that the numbers spiked because really they did a great job for. Uh, January and February, you know, we only had 95 cases when you see the numbers around the world were horrific. And uh, and then, of course, 
after March 1st to the end of uh, the end of March, uh, it went from 95 to 715 cases, and today we're at almost 900. So, um, and I think it's basically because those returnees who came in infected already from the U.S. and parts of Europe and U.K. And I think that uh, that's really why we're suffering at the moment. And I, I hope that. Uh, these decrease in numbers, I was predicting that after two and a half weeks or three weeks, maybe the numbers would start right. to go down, and that seems to be happening. I'm hoping that that <laughs> can be the way forward. I'm sure we all are. Uh, the restaurants and bars yeah. are on, on life support, basically, Alan, at the moment. Alan, yeah. Lan Kwai Fong is a, is a sort of lightning conductor, isn't it, uh, when it, you talk about alcohol and maybe yes. people spreading it more easily because their mouths Correct. are open and they're talking loudly. And, of course... The emphasis in today's, uh, one of the newspapers today I see, is on uh, grey areas that provided you order some food, you can drink away. Uh, yeah, I've content. seen that. I've, <laughs> I, you know, God bless those creative <laughs> owners, I guess. Every once in a while there are a few that kind of push the limits of the grey area of the law. Yeah. Would, it, be, and, would uh, it have been simpler and easier and cleaner if we said, OK, let's close all the bars, all the restaurants for everything for two weeks? Would that have been simpler? Um, it, it could have. It, 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 in effect, um, you know, we were, we were we came up with the with the uh, law that that may only do fifty uh, percent of your license for restaurants and one point five meter spacing between the tables. Right. I think that was really something that was, uh, uh, you know, in effect, is working and take the temperature uh, of people coming in a restaurant uh, of. Uh, customers coming in and then everyone has to wear a mask and i think for restaurants uh it seems to be working i've i've seen quite a number of them the ones that have remained open uh doing that and it seems to be working in bars uh you do get a cluster of people that uh you know you can't drink with a mask on obviously and so you've got to take it off and then the proximity are pretty close you don't usually don't sit by yourself you're really with a group of people generally and and so that's where uh, i think that they are trying to break that transmission uh, period and 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 that's really uh the only way that uh, we can stop this virus which has been proven are, are all your bars closed or are some of them still serving food as an excuse to serve drinks as well? uh, we have a few restaurants that are open that serve uh, uh that are real restaurants uh but uh, basically, I can say they're closed because we've had one or two customers in restaurants where you have a capacity of 200 people. And so it breaks your heart because, you know, you're just trying to keep the staff going. But uh, uh, the government is going to have to really help out uh, uh, not just uh, the, the hospitality industry, but also um, almost every industry because everyone's facing a similar problem. Right. And so uh, with the reserves we have, uh, and I know Paul Chan, the financial secretary, has already said that uh, they're looking at uh, maybe all industries, which would be uh, a great help because uh, we can see the U.S. They put in putting 2.2 trillion U.S. dollars in, probably have need to do six trillion at the end. Uh, but everybody around the world, this is something that in my lifetime I have never ever experienced, and I hope I never have to see it because I worry about. The health is one part, but the economic side is the other part because you've got a complete mess in the world. And the emphasis in some places is on get the pay into the workers' hands rather than only subsidize companies to the extent that they keep 
keep the workers on. Exactly. Well, that's what, what the chief executive has said. She wants to look after the, uh, the workers. I had a talk with her, and she said, uh, my main emphasis is really to look after the workers as long as the owners do not fire anyone. And, uh, and then, of course, hopefully landlords will have a heart and uh, cut rents. Uh, some have. I have uh, in the Lang Kwai Fung area. I've been doing it actually since protests, basically. But, uh, you know, some landlords I've heard have not and refused to cut rents. And, and, and I think that that's wrong. I mean, Singapore, I believe, has instituted a policy that from February till June, landlords cannot kick out a tenant. And then uh, I just saw that flash across the screen, so I'm not sure if it's 100% Is that, is that commercial or, or residential or everything? Commercial. Right, because I, I, know, I know one building where, in fact, when the tenants asked for a cut to uh, reflect uh, falling business, the landlord said well, he's only going to ask for an increase of 20%. Yeah, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard similar things. And it, it really, uh, I mean, those are people that don't have a heart. And if you are a religious person... Hopefully there is a God that's watching over that, because I think that's a terrible uh, way. Everybody's in the same situation. You can see this is a disease that spares no one. I mean, you have Boris Johnson that's now uh, gone to uh, the hospital, and, and uh, Prince Charles that had it. You know, So it doesn't matter rich or poor or whoever you are. It's a very terrible disease, and, and we just have to all work together to get rid of it. It's not just the Hong Kong situation. It's everywhere. I mean, I keep saying, you know, basically, Hong Kong is the best, is the safest place in the world right now. I'd hate to be in the U.S. or in the U.K. at the moment, or, or in Europe. And so, with all the criticism and all that, they, we've done a remarkable job, and I really applaud the medical workers and the researchers on the front lines. I mean, they have really done an incredible job to keep the numbers where we are. Now, you say you think that uh, Lan Kwai Fong has been unfairly maligned, really. You say there's only one bar. Well, it, ha it has, because every time I see a report, uh, even when there's something in Simsa Choi or whatever, they call it Lan Kwai Fong, many of the you know, reporters don't fact-check and, and actually. So you see the report coming through, and it could be a bar or a restaurant somewhere not in the Lan Kwai Fong area or the Shung Wan area. And, of course, it's all Lan Kwai Fong because I guess it's an ominous with uh, bars and, re and restaurants. And so, uh, you know, in effect, really, it's been one, uh, you know, one, one place that uh, I mentioned. And the rest, well, most of them were closed, were closed anyways, even on their own, even before the government asked, uh, many closed down for two weeks. Uh, and so uh, I think I think uh, they're trying to be responsible. Lankafung Association has worked, uh, you know, we've got 134 uh, members in the association, and they've worked quite closely with most of the operators. But do you understand the perception by among many in the community, and we've seen it in some some press reports that um, sort of that they feel well, people elsewhere in Hong Kong have been responsible, been wearing face masks, keeping their distance, and then a handful of people go boozing at a few uh, bars, maybe not just in Lang Kwai Fong, and are responsible for another mini outbreak. That's exactly correct. I mean, uh, I've seen, you know, and, and I keep urging, I've said it on RTHK before, I urge everybody, especially Westerners, to wear a mask. I think that's really been one of the main reasons we've been able to keep the numbers down here. And I, I admit, I myself at the beginning did not wear a mask. I was listening to the U.S. Uh, experts who said masks are necessary. Now they're calling for masks because WHO has said that masks are necessary. So I wear a mask every day, and I think that uh, it's really, really important. 
And uh, that was one of the things that we instituted, especially for restaurants. You have to wear a mask no matter who you are. And I now see more foreigners wearing masks uh, when they come to the restaurant. Otherwise, they can't be served. So, you, so you now wear a mask on a daily basis, Alan Zeeman? Oh, on a daily basis. You'll never see me without a mask now. And it's very, it's very important. I realize the importance of it. And, and I think it's, you know, I think it's it predominantly we're lucky because 99% of the Chinese population wear masks here. And that's really helped, I believe. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it's just the, the custom from, you know, the culture of uh, other areas in Europe or the U.S. where they did not wear masks. But I think that's uh, been a huge problem. The 1.5 meter distancing is really, really important, uh, you know, because the closer you are, then the transmission uh, has the droplets. And I think that we have to practice whatever we're told to do. This is not a case to kind of, uh, uh, you know, question, but really just do it. And at the end of the day, hopefully this will go away and we can get back to our life. Alan, I'm worried about the loss of jobs is what I'm yeah, really, really worried about. It's going to be about. really big. Alan, when I went to Macau in February, yeah. um, the, the Macau authorities, right from the beginning, had a, on public transport, you must wear a mask. That Correct. was the law. So Correct. I went over and I wore a mask on public transport. Why, why don't we have a law like that here? Well, I think it's really important. I think that uh, Ho Yat Singh, you know, it's a much smaller place, uh, the chief executive of Macau, uh, he actually reacted very, very quickly because... Macau was a place with 650,000 population, but with the casinos, you know, where you're, they're densely uh, populated with people you know, standing right. next to each other, you had to close the casinos for 15 days, and, and so, uh, which of course was very uh, costly, but, but I think that uh, he took a very stringent uh, rule from day one, and uh, in effect, they've been very good up to now, you know, and so I think, I think the government here was slow to react at the beginning, but I think she got her act together, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, the chief executive did, you know, close down most of the borders with China and uh, and has the, you know, the quarantines rules now, the 14-day quarantine rules, which seems to be helping. We can see the numbers, and hopefully they continue to come down the, these next few few weeks. Okay, thank you very much. You've been listening to Alan Zeman, the chairman of the Lankwai Fong Group. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on the latest developments, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat on rthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk, radio free, and leave a comment there. And we'll be bringing in those comments after the news. Uh, we're now joined by Dr. Tom Lee, an emergency con med medical consultant uh, based in Perth. Uh, Dr. Lee, good morning or good afternoon. No, it's good morning. It's the same this? time as you guys. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Um, what is the situation down in down in Western Australia now? Uh, it's actually very peculiar in in a sense. We are getting ourselves ready, but uh, uh, in in terms of the hospitals and the, the frontline healthcare professionals uh, of these, you know, surges. But um, we've been very lucky. I think, you know, especially being in a fairly isolated city as Perth. Uh, claims to be the most isolated city in the world has advantages and we've got uh, a lot of space. People use uh, uh, their own cars to commute most of the time. So you can see there are um, clear you know, logistical advantages in terms of social distancing and uh, the WA uh, government, the state government, have taken quite a, um, a reasonable uh, approach in terms of um, the social isolation and the I would say not 
complete lockdown, but uh, very strong uh, measures to ensure uh, there's very little uh, congregation of people. And uh, we see, we actually see, seeing there are some, you know, uh, clear indicators. Uh, we're not having a big uh, increase at the moment, but we're still waiting, you know, for the next couple of weeks to see how how things go. So that's where we are. What have you done with bars and restaurants? Uh, actually, uh, the uh, the restaurants stop uh, serving uh, customers inside. They're only allowed to do um, takeouts. So they've been quite strong, actually, right from where I go, Mike. Was that, was that on their own initiative or under a steer from the government? I know it was the state government, yeah. It's actually imposed by state government. I think um, it's been highlighted by um, various um, uh, people before. I, I like, uh, you know, the, the New Zealand approach. They have a clear kind of strategic uh, different level of lockdown. We're currently on a very high level. So basically you can't... Um, you know, uh, go and sit down in a restaurant, you know, a cafe or so on. They only allow to take out. And people might laugh. The only thing allowed is you're currently still allowed to get a haircut, you know. And um, But uh, there are various things, you know, like workers. You only allow to have two workers uh, on on, uh, on site of any jobs. So there are, you know, very, very strong measures, you know, all, all in different parts or different states of Australia. Australia, when I was there um, and when I've gone back, has a pretty robust drinking culture. How's how's that going? <laughs> well, Mike, 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 Australia like the cold beer, as, I, as as far as I, you know, you know, um, or, or everybody would know. But um, I think they they basically clamped down on all this um, social gathering, and uh, because of the concerns, they did have you know significant uh, rise in numbers in particularly New South Wales and in Melbourne. So uh, uh, I think you know to be. Also, to be fair, uh, initially they weren't very much engaged with, um, not, I wouldn't say engaged, but they, they were not too concerned until they start seeing what was happening in Italy uh, about, you know, the first couple of weeks of March, and then really dawned on to them. So middle March, a lot of heavy, you know, tough uh, decisions were made, and uh, unfortunately it has an economic impact, like what you guys have been discussing in Hong Kong, you know, what, you know, the implications in terms of you know, people losing jobs, businesses closing and then affecting people's livelihood, you know. So it's, it's a real problem, but we have to do it. And if we see the results with these kind of lockdown measures, there uh, would be drop in um, uh, infection rates. Well, yeah, yeah. What, is, what has the unemployment situation been like in, in Perth? Oh, it's been bad. I think one thing that I noticed, you know, fair do do these... You know, Western government, UK, US, and Australia have been quite quickly uh, getting an act together in terms of supporting uh, individuals losing their jobs, protecting casual workers. And uh, uh, in terms of Australia, there have been huge queues outside their, uh, what Centrelink is like, their welfare offices, you know, for people who are signing up because they lost their jobs. And, um, and I was uh, chatting to a, a, a Someone last night who's a taxi driver, and you know, it's amazing. You know, he was saying to me, now only about 20% of taxis on the road, and they get about you know 10 to 20% of the normal trade per day. So it's a really tough time at the moment for everybody. 
Okay, you're listening. <coughs> you're listening to Dr. Tom Lee, emergency medical consultant based in Perth, talking about the latest developments in coronavirus outbreak. Uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. It's backchat at rthk.hk. Or go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and leave a comment there. Uh, let's just try and bring in a couple of comments coming in from listeners now. Uh, Jason says. The daily double-digit increase in the number of confirmed cases here remains a worrisome development. The suspected cross-infection at a hospital ward exposes the vulnerability to possible outbreaks of institutions such as hospitals, prisons, schools and offices. The shared use of facilities and confined environments means there's frequent close contact between both one another at these premises. Meanwhile, Bernard Chan suggested on RTHK's letter to Hong Kong imposing a bigger lockdown in the city, which includes closing non-essential businesses and limiting restaurants to takeaways to preempt the possibility of a third wave of infections. Bernard's suggestion is sensible. A certain restaurant chain has offered complimentary food coupons to keep their business afloat, resulting in long queues and crowds at the restaurants of the shopping mall near my estate. So much for social distancing. Unless and until all infection chains are broken, the community can't afford. The community can't afford to be complacent in the fight against COVID-19. Hand hygiene, social distancing and universal masking should continue. Yet, based on my, entirely on my observation, people are starting to let their guard down. With more not wearing face masks in public places, four such maskless residents were coughing in my housing estate yesterday and upon hearing the first cacophony of coughing, my survival instincts kicked in, allowing me to run for my life. Not unlike the fictional character Jill Valentine in the vir Virus Apocalypse remake on PS4. And just one more for a moment. Um, Alison says, A high proportion of new cases continue to come from Hong Kong residents, particularly students returning to Hong Kong from overseas. Putting aside my cynical view that a few sick returnees lied about their symptoms when they arrived in Hong Kong, I presume most of them were asthmatic on arrival at Chep Lakok. While these returnees are currently required to remain at home for 14 days, they still prove a threat to their family members and domestic helpers during this period, who themselves are free to run around town during those two weeks. To further reduce the risk of more COVID cases spreading around the, on the community, the government should not allow returning residents to spend their quarantine at home. Instead, they should be taken directly from the airport to government quarantine centres and remain there for the entire 14 days. Thank you very much, Alison. Uh, Dr Lee, how about that, that issue of, I mean, you must be facing the same issue in Western Australia, that if uh, the virus is not spreading too badly in the area at the moment, you, you're concerned about people returning from elsewhere in the world and bringing it back with them. Yeah, I think uh, there are quite strong measures to try to quarantine travellers, but uh, it's um, uh, a kind of tough situation. They try to reinforce that now a lot better. Uh, initially, uh, even I find people weren't listening a couple of weeks ago. You know, we see people, you know, coming to the, uh, uh, our A&E, having injured themselves, and they're, probably, you know, they're supposed to be quarantining and so on. And uh, But now we see, you know, very few, you know, people doing the wrong thing, thank God. And um, Danny, sorry to be cheeky, but just to, to, um, to answer, you know, one of your listeners make a, a lovely comment about this cross-infection community to do uh, with um, mortality, mobility, so on. That last week, Ewan, he was asking uh, about why the mortality rate in places like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore are low. 
Crazy. I've, I've, I've got a, a, a fair insight of this. Please it's tell us, yes. You know, the, yeah, the Hong Kong, you know, uh, frontline health uh, professionals, the healthcare staff have been doing an excellent job. And, and that's what we show. The other thing that there are data to show these places have very little infection uh, amongst the frontline healthcare staff. So they're doing the, the basics absolutely spot on, which is actually a model for the world. And uh, that's actually not been discussed a lot of time because you, you, you see what happening uh, over in uh, Italy and Spain is is a bit unfair because they might have a lot of hidden or widespread community infection in the first place. But a lot of healthcare staff uh, got taken out, or in terms of got infected or got ill, you know, seriously ill, you know, with the infection. While Hong Kong, you know, as far as I know, in Taiwan, have been touched with the emergency colleagues there. And Singapore have been doing an excellent job. Another thing about mortality rate is, is really show how, how good they are. They haven't got wonder drugs, they haven't got a different uh, treatment regime, but they've all been doing the basics very, very well. So that's my point from uh, your question for last week. So you, you think from what you've seen that um, our, our mortality rate should stay low? Well, no, that's, that's the other problem about, you know, the... Um, the uh, uh, issue of the healthcare system coping. So what now a lot very, very smart commentator uh, amongst the, um, the healthcare professionals is urging the government to prepare for even worse. You know, that you can only do that by ensuring there's a health capacity to cope with worse situation. You know, there have been discussion about using convention centers of various, um, you know, places to house the well-infected patients to ensure they quarantine properly due to the Hong Kong, you know, logistical issues of letting people quarantine at home and then the very unsatisfactory okay, situation. Sorry, Dr. Lee, we're going to have to draw it to a close there because we're running up to the news. But uh, thank you very much indeed uh, to uh, Dr. Tom Lee, emergency medicine consultant based in Perth. Uh, we'll be continuing the discussion after the news and we'll be getting to some of your emails, including several emails on that perennial topic of masks. So stay with us for that. Uh, the weather forecast. Cloudy with a few showers. The showers will be heavy at times and they're going to develop into thunderstorms. The maximum temperature will be around 18 degrees and thunderstorms continuing tomorrow. Currently 18 degrees as well. Relative humidity, 83%. Stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. Downing Street says the Prime Minister is in contact with ministerial colleagues and officials and remains in charge of the government. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Denny Gitting, sitting in for Hugh Chiverton, your co-host this morning, Mike Rouse. In the second half of the show, we're going to be continuing our discussion about the impact of the latest developments on COVID-19. And we'll be joined shortly by John Nichols, a clinical professor in pathology at the University of Hong Kong. If you have any comments, do email us at backchat.rthk.hk. That's backchat.rthk.hk. Or leave a comment on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio and Free. And let's try and get through a lot of comments coming in. Let's try and get through... Selection of now. Uh, first of all, returning to the topic of Friday's show. Friday's show, we were talking in part, part of the show about whether lawyers, of course, the courts have been shut now for several months, whether lawyers needed uh, need financial assistance as a result. Um, we had some fairly hostile comments from listeners. Uh, along the lines, really, of uh, rich lawyers um, during Friday's show, and they continued coming after the show was over. Here's a couple more. Uh, Richard says, most people think lawyers and barristers all have considerable financial private resources gained from their prior, prior work. They should use these resources through this difficult time. 
any financial assistance must be means-tested. And Bob, rather sh more sharply, says, what about Father Christmas? Should he or Paul Barristers get the financial aid? Neither. Both are figments of the imagination. Boom, boom. Uh, Jay says, on a slightly different topic, from what I understood in Hong Kong, the average income is 15000 to 30000 a month. So the government obviously thinks that people can live on 15000 So why can't they give everyone 15000 a month for three months and close everything down and have total lockdown? Yeah, well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, also, um, responding... I'd, I'd take it. Yeah, I'm sure you would. <laughs> um, responding on uh, Friday's show, uh, that, uh, where we had Claudia Moe on Friday's show, uh, Tim says... It's at times like these that we must acknowledge the wise heads that drafted the basic law in such a way that Claudia Moe and her ilk will never actually gain political power. She'd struggle with being put in charge of a vacuum cleaner. Uh, slightly different, or actually also returning again to the issue of Hong Kong lawyers, but from a slightly different note, Thomas says, On Hong Kong prohibition and Hong Kong lawyers, I have been made to change my mind. No more complaints and satire about the subject of restrictions of serving alcohol in the bars of Hong Kong. Kerry Lam made a concluding decision on the alcohol ban, alcohol consumption in bars. The bars have now been closed. Controversy is closed. Hong Kong government is very wise. Because of the closure, will the bar owners get government support? Will they find lawyers to fight for them? The situation gets critical. Now even lawyers in Hong Kong are asking for help from the government. Yes, believe it or not, certain species do need protection. I'm thinking of Shakespeare. The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. In fact, Shakespeare used lawyers as figures of derision on several occasions. And Thomas goes on to provide a quote from Romeo and Juliet along these lines, and also from King Lear, before he says he's guilty of satire. Uh, several comments also on uh, my host, Mike Rouse, who is not wearing a mask this morning. I am, and we'll give him a chance to uh, comment on this later. But let's, let's, uh, let's run through the comments coming in from listeners. Uh, Leon says, a very simple question for Mike Rouse. Your age of 71 places you in a higher risk group if you contract, contract COVID-19. So what is the upside of your stubborn resistance to wear a mask? Jay says it would be more practical if the government closed down everywhere for two months, except supermarkets. No pay for everyone. And he's returning again to the idea of a government allowance of $15,000. Make sure two or three supermarket chains do not put the price of food up and have dedicated mask sellers at fair prices. Masks on necessary. I don't want you coughing all over my vegetables in the supermarket. Pete says, you can't get on a bus in Discovery Bay if you're not wearing a mask. Can someone tell me where I can buy some masks? Well, there are quite a few around these days, actually. Um, John says, yesterday I made the mistake of trying to grab a quick takeaway at my neighbourhood McDonald's. After ordering from the machine at the front, I proceeded to the pickup area where I counted there were more than 20 people waiting in a relatively small area, all for 15 minutes or so, some not wearing masks. There was no way a proper distance could be maintained. The only measure that was apparent was a teenager pointing a thermometer at everyone when we walked in. Isn't some serious enforcement of social distancing needed? James says... There was an excellent programme on TVB Jade last night that highlighted the daily hell some citizens in this city are going through at this time. One example was a single mum who has lost her job and is trying to support her kids. 
there were other tales of elderly suffering. I'm a white permanent resident. I don't care about what bars being closed, but a lot of staff behind the scenes are suffering now with the loss of their meagre income. Why is it that Macau can pay its citizens now? And in Hong Kong, maybe we will start to see $10,000 in August. I'm disgusted by the chief executive and her ministers. In the way they've communicated with the public, there is no chance to get these people to answer our questions. The money would be nice now. There are people, families who really need help now. Why is this government so cruel? I never thought I'd say this, but Tre President Trump is textbook very good communication with a daily press conference. Why does the chief executive hide from us? Jim, returning again to the topic of my co-host, says, well, 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 so Mike wears a mask on public transport in Macau, but has admitted in past programmes that he doesn't in Hong Kong. An explanation, please. Hang on, Mike, that's coming, OK? Um, Jay says, we haven't heard much about prosecution of quarantine breakers. Obviously, the police still doing paperwork for the protesters. <laughs> and John says, 100% agree with the email from Alison. Put all travellers in quarantine centre is a no-brainer, including Hong Kong ID card holders and travellers from China. It's common sense. Don't tell me the medical professionals disagree. The problem is the government doesn't care about people. And finally, just one more on my co-host. Uh, Hugh says, please, sir, can you enlighten the overall mood by reporting on Mike and the mask? We'd all love to know. Mike, over to you. Okay, well, I'm not sure how many... Of course, many... the World Health Organization, as I mentioned at the start, they have changed their guidance over the weekend. They have suggested it is a good idea to wear masks right. of some sort. You've always said that you follow the WHO guidance. The WHO guidance has changed. Will you be following and the new guidance? I will be following the science very closely. And as I said from the beginning, the number one thing you should do, be doing, and which we have been doing, and which I've been doing too is social distancing. Um, if you're not mixing with people, then uh, you're not getting it or you, and you're not spreading it if you were uh, asymptomatic. Um, and I'm working from home, as I have been for the last two weeks Well, you're now. not working from home today, are you? Here, you're I'm here not. in the it's, studio without a face mask. I am here in the studio, but I've covered the microphone with one of those condom things. Uh, to make sure that I don't leave... I think it's called anything. a microphone cover, actually. A yeah. microphone cover, OK. Well, that was how it was described to me by Q. Um, the second thing you've got to do is keep washing your hands. Um, and I think the, in the early days, the danger of all the emphasis on masks, and I'll come back to the masks in a minute, was that it would make people ignore the first two, which are absolutely vital. And you see the examples of this every day. People went to a restaurant, all wearing masks on public transport and taxis, got to the restaurant, shared a hot pot in groups of 10, 12, 15, and all got the disease. Okay. So it is, it is, a, it is a mixed message. Now, coming back to the mask, because otherwise Hugh in particular, I wonder if that's Hugh Chiverton, actually, the Hugh uh, on no, that question. Because I heard no, him on... No, it's a different spelling for a different start. Spelling. It's a different spelling for start. I heard yeah. him last week joshing with you on air about why, why don't we get Mike back on the subject of masks. But anyway, okay. um, yes, I haven't worn one up to now, except, as I said, in, uh, in Macau, because I'm a law-abiding person. And this weekend I wore one when I went to a club because that's the law. 
So I comply with the law. I will also follow the science. OK, so to all our listeners who wrote in asking about this, I think we have to say Mike Rouse has not fundamentally changed his stance on masks. <laughs> no, that'll be all more emails to come. Uh, let's bring in now uh, John Nichols. John Nichols, a clinical professor in pathology at Hong Kong U. Good morning, uh, Professor Nichols. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Um, what do you make about these infection numbers over the weekend, which really were, actually, especially in terms of the number of local infections, were very low indeed, weren't they? Yeah, it's good that the, I think, what the government's been doing about the social distancing, about the contact tracing, is that at least it's going uh, sort of uh, in, in the right direction. But I think we still have a way to go to actually dropping the, the, the total number of infections. Uh, so it's a long road ahead, but I think we're generally going in the right direction. But, you know, it's, as it's been indicated, it's still uh, the people who've come back from overseas. Uh, they're the ones who have uh, been the, the main source of, these, of the infections. I will, can I pick up on one of the things you just uh, said, which also follows on from what the financial secretary said over the weekend? This is going to be a very, very long exercise, isn't it? That, that's right. And so one has to then balance out, you know, that uh, I... I try to sort of stay away from, from politics, otherwise it gets even more hot water. Um, but, you know, when people talk about flattening the sombrero or flattening the curve, is uh, I think uh, the reality is that we've got a very, very, very long curve ahead. And so we have, so the governments then have to balance out uh, the sort of quarantine, social distancing measures versus uh, keeping the economy uh, off, off a, critical, you know, a critical state where it uh, doesn't go into cardiac arrest. Right. If lots of people are unemployed and not eating well and becoming depressed, uh, they, the, there is a death rate from that, isn't there? That's right. And also, you know, we, from SARS, what we found was a thing which was called the hidden mortality. Is that, you know, especially from the healthcare situation, when you get uh, basically a decrease in the elective uh, admissions, the elective operations, uh, people not being able to go to outpatients, so there's poor monitoring of the chronic diseases. Remember, these are the chronic diseases uh, which are more likely, if, if you do that, get the infection, you're more likely to be in that uh, not-so-good risk uh, the category. So people like, you know, the diabetes, hypertension, obesity, if those are not being properly managed because you've got closure of outpatients and, and sort of diversion of resources, then that's, good. that's going to actually tip the balance into you know, into the more you know, if people then do come down with COVID into the more severe range. So so I think also this is the you know this one has to look at this uh, this big problem of you know the cancellation of the electoral operations because you need to free up the space, free up the um, personal protective equipment. Um, so um, with that sort of getting back to the the masks issue, you know we you know the I think in the early days um, I was one people who are actually thinking that you know that people wearing masks you know, when they're going walking out by themselves in the country park was a waste of resources and those should have been donated uh, to people so you know relatives could have seen uh, their you know their, their people could have seen their relatives when they're in hospital but they didn't have masks so you know to sort of paraphrase what Margaret Thatcher was you know with the problem with it is that you end up running over other, other people's masks is that you still have a limitation in the amount of resources. And, you know, when, and when you look at even the, the United States, you know, the, I've got colleagues who are actually sending uh, masks and, and all these gowns and things across to people in the U.S. because there is such a big, you know, lack of resources. Yes, I, I know people 
in our house who've been posting masks to North America uh, for the for the same reason. Uh, Professor Nichols, do you think? I mean, uh, over the weekend, uh, Bernard Chan, executive councillor, talked about possible tougher measures, a um, or maybe a total lockdown. I mean, we saw in si- Singapore, where Singapore had had done less than us in some ways, uh, hadn't closed the schools, and um, over the weekend that changed. Do you, do you think we need tougher measures still here? Oh, look, that's um, you know, that's for the epidemiologists um, to to go on about. Um, you know, I know there's you know people in our institution who put forward certain measures. Uh, you know, I, um, that's sort of way outside my pay scale on that sort of thing because you know these are big decisions. You know, I sort of tend to try look at more on the on the, the scientific aspects. Okay, well, let's try and put it from a scientific perspective. From a scientific perspective, would keeping everyone at home have have su- sufficient benefits? Well, the, well, it's the I think what has been shown is that in in places like uh, UK and you know, sort of in US, is that this social distancing is tending to have an effect. So and so, but uh, I think so. That's what, what the big emphasis is. That you know if you. Do and also also down in in Australia, is that that is the only sort of, um, sort of recipe or the only sort of uh, ammunition which we right now have to keep this under control, and it's basically to actually stop the public healthcare system or the healthcare system being being overloaded on that. So that the point about stay home, uh, protect the NHS, save lives is actually uh, on the right lines. That's right. And the, now, the, the other thing which has um, sort of cropped up over the past few days um, has been this concept of those who have recovered about giving some people what's called like a, an immunity passport, which, uh, which is a very interesting concept, which has been sort of just sort of growing over the past uh, few days. And it, at, um, so the, the argument is that people who have had the COVID-19 or have recovered and got these things called antibodies, is that, you know, if they can go wave this sort of, uh, sort of antibody saying, I've got the antibody certificate, they could be let back uh, into work or, you know, being able to go from one area to another. On the surface, uh, it sounds like a very attractive proposal, um, but, uh, but it's actually sort of, when you think about it in longer terms, you know, it's, it's the danger of it, of it being exploited. So this is the sort of thing which I think many people in the past uh, exploited. Days Sorry, have been very, um, you know, looking at very closely about, about, you know, looking at these people who have recovered, and, you know, as well as being able to maybe donate their plasma to people who are suffering. Is that, you know, could these people be allowed back into work or allowed them to travel from one country to another? What did you mean by the danger of it being exploited? Ah, well, the, you know, the, the, this, um, the word actually comes back uh, to the um, old um, Roman time in that there are certain people who are very privileged and they're freed from paying, you know, paying any form of income tax or tax. And these people are called the immunitas. And that's where, where, where we got the word immunity from uh, because they were sort of like privileged. They were sort of exempt. And so the immunity sort of was taken to mean immunity from infection. But the danger is, uh, so, sort of, uh, so Mike is you know, being more of a uh, sort of a politician and you know, more dealing with business. You know, when businesses start recovering and they want to start employing people, and you've got two people, and I'll put this question to you, Mike, you've got two people who front up, you know, they've been unemployed for, you know, for, over this past outbreak. One says, 
uh, they're equally um, got equal ability. One says, look, I've been exposed to COVID. I've got the antibody. Uh, here's my certificate. The other hasn't. Which would you be tended to, em- to employ? I think you'd employ the one who, with the antibodies, wouldn't you? That's As right. Employer. So that would be, you know, so in a way, you're giving them this privileged uh, type thing. Right. So, I, I it could, you know, so the danger is, is that you could lead to somebody, and the word is sort of coming sort of dystopian uh, type thing where, you know, those who have the certificate, those who've been approved, they're more privileged. And so you'd be more likely to employ them, which, you know, right. which one could, from a sort of like a social ethical point of view, which probably you're far more expert on. Well, as an employer. Could lead to a degree right. of um, stigmatization, of exploitation. As an employer, if I take one guy and he hasn't had it already, and he hasn't been vaccinated against it because there's no vaccine now, then he's suddenly going to want a month's sick leave if I hire him. Whereas the other guy, all right, he he may want sick leave for another illness, but at least it's not going to be a month off for COVID-19. So as an employer, that would be a rational decision. But, yeah. of course... I was about to say, I don't want to take us too much down the legal route, but I, I do know the disability discrimination ordinance quite well. And it's not almost a disability. Cer- no, they're almost disability, discrim- disability is defining very, very widely under the ordinance. Almost certainly, whether you could actually bring a case in another matter, almost certainly that would be a breach of the disability discrimination mm. ordinance. So, 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 I mean, so, from a scientific point of view, the whole concept and, and, and the, you know, we have this before, that when I love a long time ago when I had to go to. Uh, Africa uh, to give uh, some teaching in in Sudan. I had to get the yellow fever certificate, which is actually uh, right. which is a big challenge in Hong Kong to get the vaccination. Absolutely, but they will not let you into the country unless you have that, that, I, that certificate. And so that makes me. You know, so there isn't. You know, there is a not. Let's say there is a precedent of having this. Um, but as I say, so it's not a. So from a scientific point of view, it makes a lot of sense. That's but. The danger is, could it actually then be exploited? Well, Danny and I were actually discussing that point before we came on air because (laughs) because I'm so old. When I was travelling a long time ago, you had to have a vaccination certificate with you. That's Um, right, yeah. And everyone carried one. The, the, you know, the, it shows our age. You know, we had to have this certificate, which is, you know, and it was shown in passports, and some countries would not like that. You have it. Right. You have it done. And without so, going too deeply into an, an, the other aspect that was just touched on, if I was hiring people in international trade who had to travel for their job, and they were going to that, Africa. That is different, yes, yes. because uh, because of the re- regulations of other countries. That's right. There are actually cases on that. Um, so, um, Professor Nichols, um, yes. uh, before, before the news, we had uh, Dr. Lee from Australia t- uh, talking about our low mortality rate here and saying that we, we really seem to be doing something right in our local health, health system. Do you have any comments on that? Okay, so the... In, uh, I, I pointed this out a long, long time ago in sort of February when the, the outbreak is that started is that the in terms of the virus is actually sort of no you know the virus is no less lethal or more lethal from one area to another and so the so when we even look at the brackets mortality close brackets in but even between Wuhan Shanghai Shenzhen you know it was a very vast difference so it is actually more a reflection not necessarily of the how nasty the virus is but more on how willing the healthcare system can actually cope with um, with the outbreaks and so yeah so the at this stage yeah, both in Australia and South Korea is that and also in Germany 
is that there is a um, you know there is a difference in the mortality. A part of it can be can be the demographics in Italy. The high mortality is because you can have such a high population, a proportion of the population which is over the age of 80. Uh, but also, mm-hmm. I think most people put it down to the widespread testing. Is that the more you test, the more you can pick up the the low, the asymptomatic, uh, the low uh, asymptomatic or the right. mild infected people. So at least you can monitor them, put them in uh, in hospital and so that those are the people so you can sort of try and monitor them early and rather than wait until the late right. stage and so there's lots of reasons the but the but also mortality is that it's um it's got about a three to four week lag between the numbers of infections so um so that's why i think when people talk talk about in the u.s is that the mortality will actually be going up because there's still you know all these people in intensive care um, who, you know, who unfortunately may not This make thing it. about testing is very, very significant, I think. I, you know, a professor has said before on RTHQ, I'm not, I don't think it was on this show, that he estimated there were something like in the order of 700 uh, silent carriers already out there in the community. That's probably... Um, I think it was... That's a nice number to talk about because the... Um, you know that unless you test widespread, then you will not find, I say, these asymptomatic. And also, it gives you a good indication of what people talk about about what's called be called. You know, what they call about this um, pyramid about you know what's of the iceberg is that you know we when we talk about number of symptomatic cases, you know, we to actually find out who was actually around there who may have the uh, to work out the true disease severity. Right. So there's um, lots of sort of discussions about you know would there be a random testing? Is that you know sort of you get you know 100 people you know, on the street and just say you know one, let's test one of you, let's test so you actually find out what's truly going on in the population. The 790 probably is comes from you look at the number of people who flew back from overseas. Uh, who might have the virus and it might be asymptomatic. So, you know, it's, it's probably no, it's probably not a bad estimate. Okay, thank you very much. You you heard uh, Professor John Nichols, uh, clinical professor in pathology from the University of Hong Kong. Uh, let's give the last word to our listeners. Uh, emails continuing to uh, flood, flood in, uh, including on, on the mask issue. Uh, John says, never mind the poor suffering lawyers. The government should support landlords first. Other countries have paid people immediately. Chief Executive pays coach companies but can't pay the people until the summer. Uh, Jay says, I'm not sure if this is a reference to my co-host, but he just says he is still coughing over the fruit in the market and the vegetables at the su- supermarket and still coughing and breathing over the desk and droplets on people's shoes. Steve says... No, that's not can, uh, OK, let's get through all these first, Mike. Can Mike clarify the scientific source which provides evidence not to wear masks? I have lived in the city for 25 years, which might not be as long as Mike, but it's culturally insensitive not to wear one and irresponsible at a time like this. Um, David says the Philippines has lockdown procedures going on, but the news in Hong Kong isn't been very forthcoming with information about the Philippines. In fact, we hear very little about earthquakes and volcanoes around the world. Uh, also on Marx, John says, do we know how many people were tested over the last few days? It would be interesting to see the ratio of positive tests against the numbers tested. Are fewer people being tested over the weekend? Masks definitely help. It's comical that anyone has said anything different from the start. Be a leader, not a sheep. Toby says, 
regarding the WHO new direction concerning the wearing of masks, they have not unequivocally stated that all people must should wear a mask. They have acknowledged that the wearing of masks may contribute to the reduction of the spread of the disease. Just check their website. Uh, S says, so now the retail sector is being compensated. What about music teachers, dance teachers, sport or exercise coaches? Just shows how much the government is out of touch. Uh, and Bowen says, Mike Weeks is right in identifying in this morning's Hong Kong Today as one of the major reasons for the escalating tensions in the working of one country, two systems, the issue of political reform. But the demand for political reform stems from the failure of the SAR government to look after the interests of Hong Kong and the encroachment of central government on the city's institutions of autonomy. It's a matter of getting the balance right. Full universal suffrage for the election of the chief executive and all legislators is pretty impossible before the attainment of the mainland's political attitude changes, which is unlikely in the short term. But people should continue to pursue meaningful political reform of some sort, if only to ensure the terms of the joint declaration and basic law do not get steamrolled over. Robert says, a number of experts on your show have said there's no need to wear face masks when we're exercising outside, which makes sense. However, during my weekend hike, I noticed that when someone is going the opposite direction, he or she is breathing heavily, particularly if they are running or on an uphill climb. Given the narrowness of some of the trails and hence close proximity of participants, isn't there a high risk of particles being spread? And lastly, on our Facebook page, uh, mm, short and to the point, says, can RTHK stop paying Mike Rouse to come on the show <laughs> or any RTHK show? He's a bad influence. Mike, you briefly respond. Uh, yeah. Are I'm you with, a bad uh, influence? Are you culturally incentive? You're accused of being culturally incentive, which is, is something people true. often say. That, um, it. Whatever your own personal beliefs, the fact is the vast majority of people in Hong Kong do think this is a good idea. And many people feel uncomfortable when they see somebody without a mask. And I feel uncomfortable when I see people wearing masks. But I you don't make a the, big thing about it. You are in the minority, though, aren't you? I a am. Minority. And the job of a democratic society is to protect the interests of the minority. OK, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh,